Seahawks fans wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Steve Myers. Hello and welcome back into the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, and I'm here as always with Keith Myers. Keith, good morning to you. Good morning. You ready to talk a little Seahawks? We've got some news and stuff. Do we gotta we've, talk we've about got to? We've got the good, the bad, and the distracting is what, is what we're going to name this uh, podcast because, you know, um, all things can't be good all the time. Sometimes you have some, some bad things. You know, we don't really have bad things. But uh, there's definitely some distracting news that's in the Seahawk world right now. I don't know how much uh, credibility it has or if it has legs or if it's real or if it's something that we should not be concerned about. But it's definitely a story. Um, and that's uh, Richard Sherman right now has been mentioned as uh, I think Lombardi was the first guy to kind of throw it out there, said that uh, Sherman uh, was possibly available in a trade for the right, the right deal. And, and recently, I believe um, it was uh, the Patriots came out as, as the team that, that had the initial interest um, and, and made possible contact. I don't know if anything's confirmed with the Seahawks about Sherman and that kind of fell through. But since then the story's kind of been out there and based on comments that the Seahawks have made and that Sherman's made, um, Sherman initially played it off um, as being nothing. The Seahawks then commented that, hey, we'll listen to, to anything. And then Sherman kind of got a little bit more serious about it and said, you know, it's a business. If a trade, I know I want to be here, but if a trade happens, I, I get it. So where are you at on the Richard Sherman story? Well, I think one of the things that we need to, to talk about with this is that uh, Pete Carroll and, and John Snyder both had a chance to kill it. They, they had a chance to kill the story and say, we don't want to trade him. He's an all pro. He's one of our best players. We love him. We, we don't want to trade him. And neither one of them did. Uh, they both said, there have been calls. There ha- they've listened to offers. Uh, they'll continue to listen to offers, but they don't think anything will get done because no one's going to meet our price. But they didn't kill the story. They just said, we'll, we'll listen, uh, which tells me that they're open to the idea that it's not a – this isn't a situation like – if somebody called about uh, Russell Wilson, uh, they'd laugh and say no and hang up. Um, and when, and if some, and if a reporter asked, you know, one of those guys about, about it, they'd go, no, we're not trading Russ. He's our quarterback. He's our guy. He's, he's not going anywhere. I don't care who calls. Uh, they had a chance to do that with Sherman and they didn't. Uh, so to me, it, the story has a little bit more legs than we want to admit because of that. And, uh, but that doesn't mean anything's going to get done. I, I'd say there's a 99.8% chance that he plays for Seattle, I think though, uh, this year, you so. know, Keith, if I'm being honest, is that's a very consistent answer from John Snyder and Pete Carroll. You know, um, 
it seems, you know, I'm not giving any specific times that I've heard this before, but I've heard them say this before about other things, about other players, about doing their due diligence. Um, it seems to be kind of a consistent position uh, from them as opposed to adding flames to this eh, kind of iffy story to begin with. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's just when, listening to I, I mean, the, if you the, got, the words and what was actually done. So if you got Schneider and Carol and Sherman in the same room, and they and you had a chance to talk to all of them, it seems to me that they would all be laughing as being a non-story. But and that's just my position from a guy that really isn't, you know, doesn't have any concrete information. It's just a feel, you know, that I have that there's really nothing to this. But then again, some of the biggest moves in NFL history end up coming out of situations like this where all of a sudden now teams discover that, hey, maybe the Seahawks are willing to listen to certain things. Let's throw our first-round draft pick out there and maybe a second round next year, and let's see what they listen to. And maybe one of those teams is, is in the top ten in the draft and the Seahawks take a look at the top 10 first round pick as opposed to the Patriots first round pick. And it gets a little bit more interesting. Now I get that. And why wouldn't you want to listen mm-hmm. to that? sort of Well, idea? yeah. And of course, I mean, they need, they, they would, they would always listen to it um, no matter what, but how seriously would they take it? And it just listening to the context of the questions and, and the way that things were answered, it felt like it, it felt different um, actually listening to what Pete and John were saying in, in this particular case. It just felt different. It felt like they were like, yeah, maybe we are are interested in this and maybe we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and, you know, we can't, we can't talk about the, the reason about with this is one, he, he was still good last year. Still very good, still a pro bowler, but he wasn't an all pro last year. He wasn't as good. Um, and on top of that, there was the whole yes. defense was down yeah. last year. And on top of that, there was the blow up uh, on the sidelines uh, with Chris Richard. There was the blow up on the sidelines with, um, you know, Daryl Bevel. There was uh, a blow up on the sidelines with Cam Chancellor and the other corners. There was uh, basically he threw Russell Wilson and. Um, under the bus during a press conference and, you know, kind of threw the entire offense under the bus. There was the basically just complete disrespect for Pete Carroll. And, you know, he called, he said that, oh, I just got summoned into the Kumbaya room and, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and there's Pete Carroll's got, uh, you know, with his rules, rule number one, protect the team. And, you know, Last year, Sherman was a Rule One violator, and I think that no, oh, he definitely went off the reservation. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it, you know. And there, you can't argue the fact that Richard Sherman is probably in the top two or three corners in the league Absolutely. at this point, and it still looks like he probably would be for the at least the duration of his current contract, which is another two years, mm-hmm. and. You know, an argument can be made to get value out of a Richard Sherman now, while the value is at the top of market, um, as opposed to either letting him walk in free agency or 
watching his diminishing returns after he turns 31, 32 years old and giving him a second, uh, you know, giving him another contract after that. So, you know, and, and you've seen teams, particularly the Patriots, have been absolutely fabulous at turning their marquee players that have just turned the corner on on the top end of their careers and heading down and getting great value out of those guys. Um, it, it could happen. I mean, it could happen. And it, it you could almost say that it would be smart for the Seahawks to do something like that, especially if they could get a first-round pick plus a player or two picks, maybe a first this year, a second, or maybe a third next year. And, and that pick was in the top. 15 um in the first round seattle could really well could come out of the draft with the top safety or the top corner possibly um you know even a player like leonard fournette um or jamal adams you know or an edge rusher solid like solomon thomas or something i mean so would you how would this sort of a situation be looked upon from the Seahawks players perspective, all of his teammates. Uh, I don't, that's, that's a hard question because there's a, you know, there's, there's 90 guys on the roster right now. And I think some of them will. Well, let's talk about Wagner and Chancellor and, and, and Thomas in particular. It's going to be hard because those guys are guys that want to win. Now they're in the prime of their career. They want to win. Now they don't want, you know, to win two years from now, or they don't, you know, they don't want to see this team take a step back in any way because they have. Um, well, once you start unfolding this thing, it it's unfolded. I mean, literally, the Legion of Boom would would be the Legion well, of Bust. Yeah, you'd bust you, it out. you would because you'd have, uh, you know, it's it's all it started with those four guys with uh, you know, um, the two safeties Sherman and Browner, and Browner Browner was gone, and they've kind of mixed and matched and placed in there but uh you know you get rid of sherman and then it's just the two safeties and one of which is earl thomas who's not you know a boom player he's a little guy uh comparatively and so it it really does kind of just change the dynamic so uh i i don't believe that the veterans especially the veterans on the defense would would take it particularly well at least not initially because they know that Sherman is the top is in the top two or three corners in the league, and having him on the team makes the team as good as it's going to get, and it, it keeps things as good as they're going to be, and gives them the best chance to win. Uh, other guys, I don't think it would matter, and I think that if once the team had a chance to talk to everyone and just be like, look, you know, we can't have division in the locker room we can't have guys going after coaches and 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 fellow players and that kind of stuff i think they can talk him down but we'll see can you speak just to the value of what a trade would look like and why it would make sense if if it were to happen like what would be the point where you would say you know what that deal makes sense to me well before i'm willing to trade him at all i have to know that I have to know that things are broken between uh, Richard and the team because, and, and I don't know if that's true right now. And we'll, we'll have to, we'd, we'll, we'll have to wait and see and we'll kind of see what happens. But if, if Sherman really has, uh, if the message, Pete Carroll's message is being lost on him, 
um, at this point, which the, the Kumbaya Room comment last year really made me wonder, um, then I think you have to really actively consider trading him because of the fact that that means if he's going to walk in two years uh, and not resign, so you're thinking, okay, we either have to franchise him, which is going to piss him off, or we're, he's going to walk and we're going to get nothing back except you for a third round comp pick. deal with disruption. Yeah. So now would be right now would be his peak value. And so I would want to have that conversation first, know where we're going to be. And if, and if I think that things are, are broken between Pete Carroll and Richard Sherman, I, then I would talk, start thinking of value and trading him. Obviously, a first round pick is the starting point. Um, an absolute. It, it's a starting point. It's an absolute requirement, but that's it's not even the minimum. Um, and then. What I'd really want—I mean, you're talking about an All-Pro player in the prime, of, uh, the prime of his career. There's no with any draft pick, no matter who they are, how good. There's a learning curve, and there's also a chance where, that they'll just become a bust. And so, you're saying, oh, well, they could replace him with you know Kevin King or uh, Witherspoon out of Colorado or Marlon Humphrey. Uh, not really, because one, there's a learning curve. It'll take him a rookie a year, and two. What happens if that player doesn't develop into what you expect him to? So then, you know, it's like when the Jets traded um, Revis and then, um, and they, you know, they drafted his replacement who then promptly just bombed out and failed and, and has, you know, never lived up to the promise. So they, we don't, the Seahawks don't want to then end up in that situation. So you need at least a first round pick, probably two, maybe not both, obviously this year, but first pick, uh, first round pick this year and another one next year or a first round pick, maybe a second next year, but it's got to be with a team that's not good. So, you know, that second round pick is going to be in the thirties or maybe the early forties. So that way, you know, you're, you're getting value there. Another thing that you could do is, and I don't, I have been looking around trying to find this player and not haven't found it. But if you can find a team that will take him, give you their first round pick and send you like a left tackle or a right tackle who's, you know, 26, 27 um, and good starter, you know, material, not, you know, some, you know, bad cast would you, off player, would you take, but an actual like legitimate would you take player. Cleveland's number one pick this year. First pick in the draft plus Joe Thomas. Absolutely. Knowing that you'd only I, get I two would, years I out of Joe I Thomas, hesitate. probably. That's fine. You're only gonna, you, if I'm trading Sherman, it's because I'm only going to get two years out of Richard Sherman. Uh, because I know that he's probably he doesn't want to resign. He doesn't want to come back. He doesn't want to continue to play in this uh, organization because he just doesn't respect Pete Carroll's you know, mantras anymore. So um, I'm only going to get two years out of Joe Thomas. Well, I'm only going to get two years out of Richard Sherman. So I'll take that in the first overall pick. You know, you want to give me uh, Miles Jarrett as a pass rusher and Joe Thomas. I got to tell you, I can do a lot of good things with that defense. That would help. Uh, that would help you know, the guys that are left chancellor and mm-hmm. Thomas it would feel well, better. And you'd still be able to, yeah, and you'd still be able to get a guy like Kevin King later on in, in the first round, uh, maybe Witherspoon in the second. Uh, you know, you could look at possibly taking a guy like Sidney Jones uh, in the third, even though he won't play this year because of the torn um, Achilles. I think it's an Achilles with him. But yeah, so he's probably not going to play this year, but he'll be there in a year. 
uh, it's just a really good cornerback draft. You know, you could go get Marlon Humphrey from Alabama or some of the other guys, maybe Conley, um, and just stack your 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 defensive secondary with all these young players. And what if it, what if it just go okay? This this year is going to be a little rough because they're going to be young. But what if a team came to you, know, you we'll, like we'll uh, Tampa at, tw- at nineteen or? Miami at 22 or New York Giants at 23 or something. Um, is that enough value? I mean, I guess you would have to take this one plus more down the road or multiple picks in this draft or a player or something. Yeah, I mean, with with those teams, we, you're, you once you get down into that range, there's just a lot more uncertainty about what's going to be available. I mean, luckily this is a good year to do that, but I would need I would need significantly more than just you know like pick nineteen or pick twenty two. You were talking about okay, you're also going to have to give me your, your third year this year and a third next year um, on top of that, and because then okay, you give me that. Let's say I got twenty two and twenty six this year. I can do a lot with that because I could go get like Forrest Lamp to play guard um, forever and then get a, a Kevin King or a Witherspoon so, or that kind of player. And both I mean, of the we kind of we know so. what other teams would be getting with Richard Sherman, but what are other teams getting with Richard Sherman if they were to want to trade for him? And why would they feel comfortable giving up so much capital to do it? Well, because they're getting an all pro. Uh, cornerback in the prime of his career, someone who's proven that he can get the job done at the NFL. So there's no like question. He's a dynamic on, player. I mean, you know, he's a legit uh, shutdown guy. He, I mean, he can really shut down a, and, a side of a football field. And on top of that, until last year, he was a legit leader on that defense. He was a guy that everyone looked up to. He was a guy that, you know, came in, he moved the needle in the locker room. He uh, really was able to, uh, get other guys up and ready to play. And he, you know, helped. He's one of the things that's fun to watch during training camp is Sherman will take one of these guys that's a convert or is just coming in as a rookie. And, you know, between reps, they're over there and Sherman's working with them on, you know, the kickstart. I, I totally agree. And I mean, he's, I, he, and he's, he's I totally coaching agree. And he's, he's a totally underrated so, leader. Even oh, though he lashed was... out last year, and last year, I mean, ha- yeah. has anybody has anybody really gotten to the root of what happened last year and why he? I mean, he's always been outspoken, but he's never really been outspoken against his own team as much as we saw last year. And have we figured it out? Do we know why? He won't talk about it, and. Everything there's a lot of speculation, but most of it is 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 just thought to be that he was frustrated. Um, he was frustrated a little bit at himself because he made some some bad plays, especially in the, the first Atlanta game uh, where he he screwed up. Uh, he was frustrated at you know the coaches because they didn't he didn't feel that you know uh, Chris Richard was putting him in position to make plays and really giving the team the best opportunity to. Um, you know, to, to, to do well and to win. He was very frustrated at the offense. I think that was obvious because the defense was still playing well and was up until uh, the point where uh, Earl broke his leg. Uh, They were the number one scoring defense in the league, but yet the team was struggling to win games because the offense was atrocious. So I think he was frustrated with that. And and I I just think everything just boiled over all at once. And we'll see going forward. 
can we definitively say that that's really all it is? And this little flare up here in the last week with regards to trade rumors and so forth is just that. And it's, and John and, and Pete have come out and said, yeah, we listen to things, but we listen to everything. And we don't want Sherman to go anywhere. And they've literally said, we don't want you know Sherman to go anywhere. And this is where he's at. And he's a great player and we need him in our defense. And Sherman's basically, you know, initially laughed it off and he's kind of said it's a business and wouldn't expect him to say anything else. And so can all this is just as easily be played off as nothing. No, uh, because that's not the way Pete and John work. Um, is it nothing in terms of are they actually thinking about trading him? Maybe. But they wouldn't have said the things they said unless there was something. But what that something might mean might not be, hey, we're thinking about trading him. It we're might be. We're going to growl him a little bit. You know, kind of, yeah, we're gonna we're putting him on notice. Hey, guess what? You're not untouchable. You don't get to set the rules here. You're you have to, you know, come back in and be a part of this team and be, you know. It seems to me though, be the it seems be the leader, me, um, Keith. That they wouldn't do that publicly. It seems to me that they would have a private conversation with Richard just out of just sheer respect. I don't know. They did that last year, and Sherman came out in his next press conference and uh, basically threw Pete Carroll under the bus and was talking about the Kumbaya room and how much like whatever. And, you know, it was pretty disrespectful. So um, I think they, they may be taking everything and just escalating it a little bit and to see what happens. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, this is one of those things where it's going to be touch and go right up to the draft and through the draft because it, we may we may see this trade happen during the draft. Like they may have something in place with someone, and it's hey, if if this player is available when you pick, you know, we'll 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 go through with this. And, well, this is definitely the um, price you pay as a team so, of having you know dynamic, outspoken type players. And Pete Carroll advocates for those players and advocates for those guys to be individuals and to be themselves. Um, Sherman's taken it, you know, maybe a a step too far. Well, not maybe he has probably taken it a step too far. Mm -hmm. Um, last year, um, being so outspoken, uh, not only during press conferences, but during games. And uh, you're right. Pete, Pete's probably trying to put a lid on it. Yep. And, and ultimately I don't think anything happens. I think he, comes back in and if not the coaches, it'll be Cam Chancellor um, and maybe Earl Thomas will get involved and they'll get him back uh, under control and back in the program and, and, and everything. And I, I think ultimately this will just blow over and be nothing. You know but for the time being, yeah, it's well, worth watching. As a fan, you don't want this to happen. As, as nice as that, all that draft capital sounds drafted players are no guarantee and we've got a player mm-hmm. on the team in Richard Sherman. That's a guarantee. We know who he is. Yep. We know what he's about. He's an integral part of the, the defense. I, I don't want to lose him. I mean that defense with, with Richard Sherman back there and Thomas and chancellor and the others, man, I, I spent way too many years as a Seahawk fan 
not being able to have a defense that I could root for. And to, to have this last six, seven years uh, has been a joy, really, as a fan, to, to be able to watch a defense so competent and so aggressive and good at what they do. And Richard Sherman's been a, a centerpiece on that. And so I'd hate to, hate to lose him. Yeah, I mean, the the analyst in me is different than the fan in me. So I'm talking here as 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 the analyst and the writer and and everything. But the fan in me would be just pissed if the Seahawks traded him because he is fun to watch. I mean, it's the not swagger, just like the yeah, and just he's fun to watch. He's good. He's aggressive. My he my seventy just, he plays with that edge. He's so my seventy four year old mother. Loves Richard Sherman. I mean, just absolutely loves his attitude. His She loves defense, always has. Always been a Seahawk fan. They were season ticket holders from day one. And um, she loves Richard Sherman, so she would not be happy. So I've, I've got to speak yeah. up for her on her behalf. <laughs> <laughs> so Definitely. So let's move on. I think we've we've beat this horse yep. far enough. Well, let's, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk let's about another story about an, an, a resurrected story. I, I guess uh, Lynch um, saying that he he would like to come out of retirement and he wants to play for somebody other than the Seattle Seahawks. He wants to play for the Oakland Raiders, and that's, and that's it. Um, it's just Oakland. Like I'm going to come out of retirement, yeah. and I only want to play for one team, and it's Oakland. And, yep. you know, and, and Oakland came out and said, well, we like Oakland, but we like Las Vegas better. So we're going to we want to move to Las Vegas. I don't know what that yeah, not, but they're not, not gonna, for a couple of years. They're right? not going to they're not going to move until 2020. And the NFL has an out. So that way, if Oakland right. steps up to the plate and gets a, a stadium deal in the next year, uh, you know, they'll, they'll stay. But at the same time, Lynch was going to come out of retirement. If he does, this whole thing is about one year. He wants to play once in his hometown, because he's from Oakland. Is it about um, money? And that's it. No, no, it's 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 not. It's it's about doing something for the city and you know helping you know try and get that taken care of. There's talk of he's really popular there. Like he's as almost as popular as the team, and so if they can get him, maybe they can help. It'll help get. Uh, support for to get that stadium so they can they can save the team even though what a, officially what a the potential team's moving, great story but, I mean kind of the the mm-hmm. Griffey of Oakland yeah it is and uh, there but the other side of this is the Seahawks own his rights and they have no intention of relinquishing them they should probably they should probably uh, play you know a little hard ball I mean you don't want to play too too hard ball with with Lynch in that situation and that's a good story and all that kind of stuff. But they certainly don't want to leave him uh, out there without some sort of compensation if they can work it somehow or another. Well, true. It's part of it will be draft compensation from Oakland. They're, they're going to force Oakland to give him a pick to get his rights. Would you take a fourth um, rounder? But the, uh, I think yeah. fourth rounder would actually that's be what, a perfect story. He comes into Seattle at a fourth well, rounder, because that's, and he leaves Seattle as a fourth rounder. Yep, I would, I would be, I would be completely okay with that. I know a lot of fans wouldn't be, but I, I would, I would be okay with that. Um, the, the other aspect of this is that if he comes back and doesn't play for Seattle, 
the Seahawks have pretty much every right to say, no, you have to give us some of the money well, back. Well, let's that talk we about you. that contract because, implication. I mean, they can't, Seattle can't take him back this year. They just don't have the money. They don't want to, he, his return on investment is probably diminished. He's a distraction uh, from the from the team, and his contract is prohibitive for him to actually come back. And so, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, it, the thing is, they already took the cap hit for him retiring, so there's no so the the, the cap consequences are actually much smaller than than we realize. The other thing is that because he was gone for a year, that is his his salary for for last year. Um, the Seahawks own his rights for another year, but that contract, that, that contract salary isn't there. So, so they would need to come to an agreement on, um, a new number for him to come back. That would be part of, of him coming back. Uh, but the Seahawks do own his rights for the, for the year. And they did that on purpose. I mean, they, they could have cut him outright, but they didn't. They, they, Mm -hmm. They didn't. They waited and waited right, and right. waited and waited, and then finally and, and he filled this, out his paperwork. And this is in precisely June. the reason why they did wait. It was because if he did decide yeah. to come out of retirement, they wanted to be able to either a retain him or b get compensated for it. Yeah, and and if he's going to come back and play for someone else, basically force a force a trade in that situation, they paid him for a year. Uh, or you know the, the 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 signing bonus was for um, the the length of the contract, and he didn't play one of those years. And if he comes back and wants to play, uh, they want you know half that signing bonus back for that year that he didn't play for for Seattle. And so he would have to actually cut them a fairly large check to to make this happen. If he if he's going to play for someone else now, if he's going to play for Seattle, they would just sure. you know. Let him let him pay for so, a couple million or whatever. So they work uh, give out, me a but, prediction. How's this going to play out? Uh, I believe this plays out in that it's already done, and the whole thing just keeps his name and his beast mode uh, clothing brand in the news and in people's minds. And uh, that is what happens: is it becomes this dance back and forth between uh, Lynch, the Raiders, and the Seahawks, and nothing comes from it. But he makes a lot of money on his clothing brand. Free marketing. I think that's how this ends up working out. (laughs) I think they're legitimately, I think that Lynch has made an agreement with the Seahawks that they're going to release him and try to get compensation from the Raiders. Um, And I think ultimately he's going to be allowed to play. And I think that the Seahawks will end up with compensation that that's most fans think is way too small but in reality it's just a it's just a tip of the hat uh gesture Mm. from the the raiders i think we'll probably end up looking at a sixth seventh round pick out of it just as a thank you for releasing your player um and then it, it turns into an oakland lynch story and it's it's a good one i that's i think that he is going to i can see i i can see uh I can see Lynch coming back and, and playing and, and, and it unfolding in that way. I just am not sure that 
uh, he really wants to come back and practice every day and go through training camp and that kind of thing. I think the idea of playing for his town and you know playing in games and that kind of stuff is is something that he would like to see happen. But the rigors of a season is. You know, it's a lot more work than people think, and and with his back the way that it is, and I, I don't know, I I, I struggle to see whether or not that's going to happen. That's true. So we'll see. That's true. Yeah, I mean, he could definitely have been a workout warrior and come in and just be great. But you're right. I mean, where's he at with his, you know, in his head with his body? Um, you know, maybe he could be a guy like. Eddie Lacy's going to be for us, possibly, where he, he splits carries and he doesn't have to carry the full load and maybe he gives them, you know, 12, 15 touches a game or possibly even less and, you know, picks up seven, 800 yards in the season and he's such a good story for the community that, it, you know, it really does make, make a difference for them. But who, know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, in, in the end, I don't think that it matters much to the Seattle because I, you're right. If he does play, what it's going to be is it's going to be a sixth or seventh round pick. It's not going to be a four, which is what I think everyone would be happy with. Um, it'll be a six. It will more likely be a seven. Um, and so and a seventh round pick is basically a, getting an early jump on an, an undrafted free agent. So it's, Right. Like I said, it's just a tip yeah. of the hat. But it, if Lynch truly does want to play, I don't see why the Seattle would say no to to letting him go. I mean, he's he's been I so totally great agree. for for the team and for the community and 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 everything. I I just don't see why they would you know kind of disrespect. They've already him. moved on, so they might as well allow him to you know do whatever he wants as long as they get a little bit of compensation from it. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a win win for both teams. I don't see why they should hold Agreed. it up. Okay, and so uh, the last thing that we kind of wanted to cover today is uh, Keith has a player that he's kind of had uh, that's currently on the roster, so it's not a secret, but he's got a guy that he's kind of been keeping tabs on that he wants to share a little bit more about, um, and that's Pierre Desir. And he was a, originally a 2014 draft pick, fourth rounder overall, I think to the Cleveland Browns, if I'm not mistaken. And so he has been around in the league a little bit, but he's he's bounced around. So he started uh, a few games for Cleveland. He was on their team for a while. Uh, he ended up uh, off of them, onto San Diego, off of San Diego, onto our practice squad. At the end of the year, there was kind of some stuff going on and uh, ended up uh, back with our team. Uh, he's got some good uh, height, weight um, numbers, like 6'2", 206. Um, so... Talk to me about Desir and what, what it means for the Seahawks as far as our uh, cornerback slash safety situation and how he might fit into the mix um, in 2017. Well, I think one of the things that uh, people look at with uh, a guy like Pierre is that you know he's on the practice squad and then he signed a futures contract. And those deals, everyone goes, oh, well, we don't really count them because the chances of them making the team are really, really small. Uh, but right. this is a very unique situation. Um, this was, you said a fourth round pick. I believe he was a third round pick. I'm just saying off the top of my head. But um, he was a, a highly sought after guy who, in the draft, you know, someone the draft analysts and scouts really liked and went to Cleveland, started 
uh, some games as a rookie, played really well. His tape as a rookie in the NFL was good, and then his second year, it was uh, it was not nearly as good, and eventually he lost his roster spot. But it was Cleveland. But it was Cleveland, and that's really where it comes down it comes down to because you know I was uh, speaking with his agent and, and and kind of talking to him about this situation and that kind of thing, and according to his to, according to his agent and what he said is that. Uh, Cleveland basically just sucked the life out of football for Pierre, and he just didn't. He, he just really hated uh, playing, and so he, when he got cut, he thought about retiring, and then he instead he went to San Diego, and you know they picked him up because he was in training camp um, with Cleveland, and then got cut right before the season started. Ended up in San Diego, and. So he didn't have training camp. He didn't have a chance to learn their defense, their coverages, their their calls. And they were asking him not only to learn them on the fly, but to learn them at two positions, both corner and free safety, and to do so without normal practice. Because at San Diego last year, they didn't do a lot of um, full pad practicing once the season began. And so he was very slow picking things up because he was never really given a chance to. And when he, you know, missed a couple coverages, missed an audible uh, in the defense, they cut him. And the whole thing was that they were they were planning on cutting him to kind of make a statement and then bring him back. But instead of coming back, going back to San Diego, he landed in Seattle. And in Seattle, he kind of refound what he loved about football and really even on the practice squad, even on the practice squad, just being out there competing, uh, playing with, you know, against Seattle's receivers playing with uh, Richard Sherman and, and Deshaun shed and, you know, just kind of learning the defense and, and getting coached. He said he really found how much he loved football again, playing in Seattle. And so, uh, this year had offers to leave Seattle's practice squad. When you move from the practice squad to the, to the active roster, you get about four times, uh, the salary per week. So he had offers to leave Seattle's practice squad to sign for with teams, and he chose not to. He'd already had enough games to, for uh, 2016 to count as his, you know, as a as a full league year. So he would become a, th- you know, finish his uh, third year as a as a player. And so he he decided not to, and he decided to stay even though it was just on the practice squad and he wasn't going to get a chance to play in games. And then when the season ended, he had other options. He had offers of, of teams that wanted him to go play for them. Uh, Detroit was the big one. They were, they were offering him you know, a chance to come. They What they were telling him was that he was going to, the moment he signed, he would be their number two cornerback. And okay, the draft might push him down to number three, but there he was going to play. Uh, and... But Seattle didn't want him to leave. And so it was one of those situations where Pierre was in, you know, uh, John Snyder's office with uh, Schneider and Pete Carroll, and they wouldn't let him leave and wouldn't let him leave. And so he's, you know, on the phone with his agent in the office, and they're doing kind of this negotiation thing, but they wouldn't let him leave the office. And and the Seahawks basically talked him into staying. Uh, But it wasn't that hard to get him to stay because he wanted to stay in Seattle because he really loved the team and the environment and everything about it. But he had better offers sitting there. Um, Detroit was, you know, playing time and and a little bit more money. And there's a couple other teams that were offering him more money, but he chose to stay in Seattle. And I thought that it was uh, it's a good sign for the team. But it also gives you a, a sense of that this is a guy who can play. 
This isn't someone who's just, you know, some practice squad guy who, you know, isn't going to make the team or that kind of stuff. This is a guy who can genuinely play. And uh, so a couple, about a month ago, I wrote an article from the site saying basically don't sleep on Pierre Desir. Uh, and what I was trying to convey to everyone was like, this is someone who's going to come in, compete for playing time, get a chance to play and might be, especially with, with Deshaun uh, Shedd's knee injury, might be the starter at right cornerback uh, at the start of the year. And I wrote that knowing all, everything that had gone on, but I couldn't talk about it yet because it was one of those things where, you know, we, the conversation's off the record. And so I can't, I can't get into the, to what I knew, but Pete Carroll broke, uh, you know, kind of let the secret slip and then a couple other people picked up on it. So now it's out there and I can finally get a chance to talk about what I knew back when I wrote that piece a month ago. Well, I think that's a great story. I mean, and, and here's a guy at the end chose the Seahawks on purpose because he believes in himself, you know, and you want players like that on your team, guys that come in that really know that they can make a difference and they can compete for a spot. And, you know, and Seattle's always allowed players like that to at least compete, um, to at least give it their best go and find out where the cards are at the end of the day. And that sounds like that's what they want to do with him. I mean, he's, he's right in the mix. There's no question. You know, they don't know what they're going to do in the draft, how the draft's going to unfold for them. I'm sure they're going to add a player, possibly two, um, between safety and corner, possibly even three in that mix. Um, so he's going to definitely have some competition there, but he's got experience. He's got the, the, the physical attributes, the, the body, arm length that they like, the, the loose hips and the fluid back pedals, and he tracks the ball really well and so forth. So, you know, he's definitely going to be in a mix and a player we can definitely watch. So anything else you want to add about Pierre, what we might look for, what position that you think he might slide into? Uh, I see. I think they see him as a... Uh, as a corner, and the, yeah, that's where they're, they're going to get him to, to play. He, with his experience at free safety in San Diego, and a little bit last year, you know, you know when he was practicing, uh, having him there as a potential backup, I think, is a nice little uh, draft hedge in case they don't get a backup. But once they signed um, McDougal, who is a genuine backup free safety, uh, I think it moves Pierre more exclusively to just cornerback. And so uh, that's where I would see him. I, I just expect him to come in and compete. And don't be surprised if with if Shed's not ready, if we see uh, Desir as that starting uh, right cornerback this year. Well, I think, too, and given his versatility, uh, Pete likes guys like that on the roster, not only for uh, special teams, but he can slide over into uh, two or three different positions, into the slot, into the free safety. I understand he's played a, a little bit of strong safety before. Um, I'm not sure exactly how physical he is, but I understand he is a solid tackler at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, they like guys like that. So look for Pierre Desir. So, Keith, you got anything else today, or are we going to wrap this thing up? Um, I do have one mailbag question. Let's uh, try and keep this short so we're not running too long. But uh, Chuck from Twitter asks if uh, the Seahawks should consider signing Colin Kaepernick now that uh, Trevon Boykin is having his legal problems crop back up. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, they've come out and said uh, in just the last couple of days that um, – Boykin looks like he will probably be back on the roster, although they're still investigating that entire situation. But they they kind of put that out there that 
we should we should expect to, to at least look for him. Um, but we definitely need competition at that spot. Keith, why don't you give me your thoughts on on Colin Kaepernick and what if he did come, what it would mean for the team, and if you think it's realistic given the the issues surrounding that. See, my thing is, if you look at it from like, from a football perspective, Pete Carroll said they haven't really, I mean, they've of course talked about it, but they haven't really considered it because they view him as a starter and they figured someone's going to pay him uh, more than they, they could because he'll, he'll go to some place where he has a chance to compete for, for some snaps and, and get a chance to play. But as teams keep signing other quarterbacks that aren't Kaepernick, uh, it, maybe he'll be willing to take a, a one year with Seattle and, you know, just play for, for like a million and, and just get a chance to build his value back up and prove that he can play in a system different than, you know, Jim Harbaugh's. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. So, and, you know, and for the Seahawks, I mean, I like Boykin. He did some good things when he finally got in the game against San Francisco last year, but at the same time, you know, we know that, uh, Kaepernick can play and he, he I mean he led his team to uh, a Super Bowl to two other uh, NFC title games he can play he's not you know he's not a superstar or anything but he can play and so it's kind of worth it to see what happens I think that um, there's two things that I've got on my mind if he did come what happens to Boykin I mean at this point it may be very difficult for them to hide him on the practice squad um However, with with the transgression stuff, maybe other teams don't want to don't want to touch that. The other issue is, I think if if it is Kaepernick, it's just a business decision. I think what it comes down to for the Seahawks, it's a, a better caliber uh, starting experience backup for Russell Wilson. And at the end, if he does increase his value and leaves, we possibly get. Uh, compensatory uh, picks out of it, and so to me, I think it would just end up being some, something like that. Yeah, it, it it all comes down for me to the cost. If you're going to spend, you know, two and a half million or three million on a backup quarterback, you know, that's hard to justify given Seattle's cap situation. If I it's agree. one, if it's one, go for it. But if it's two and a half to three, eh, I totally I pa- agree, Keith. I'd pass. Yeah, I think if he if he comes in for the minimum, yes, and he may end up having to because there just isn't a market for him this year. Um, and if that's the case, and he wants to be on a roster, he's going to do whatever he has to do. I don't see them spending three or four million dollars with Boykin as a viable backup I, on a rookie contract, and, and they don't want to lose uh, Boykin at all. And and I don't see them carrying three quarterbacks on their roster. They have too many other issues that they, they want to make sure that they've got players for, and they've gotten away with just having two quarterbacks on the roster for however many years now. So anyway, I think I, I, I would say I'd welcome him on the team because I'm a Seahawk fan and he would be a Seahawk. But I think realistically, I just don't see it happening. Agreed. Uh, so, so, um, so next week, what, next week, what are we doing next week? Do we even know? Yes, we do. 
Next week, we're transitioning to the draft. Yay. And uh, <laughs> finally, yay yeah. for everybody. So we're going to start, we're going to do some draft talk. And uh, I think we're going to get into a little bit of mock draft uh, action and, so, and have some fun so with that. So your mock draft versus my mock draft? Oh, yeah. Let's You've got it. more experience at, at mocking. But I'll tell you what, I have, his, I have history on you because I've kind of done and followed the draft for way longer than I think most people have. I think back into the 80s. In fact, I went to the... Double Tree Hotel in Tequila with my mom and dad in like 1985-ish and where the team had the, their draft location and they invited a few fans and season ticket holders and so forth to go down there. So we were season ticket holders back then and so we got a chance to go in and it was kind of interesting but it was nowhere near like this because everything would be, there was no internet. And there was, all you had was phones. And so you didn't find out about anything really until the pick was announced. And it was announced because someone would call and then they would post the pick up on the board, the big board. And then the Seattle picks would be announced and then they would be posted and everyone would cheer. So it was kind of, it was a little interesting back then. But there wasn't any research. There wasn't any like, you know, you, you could watch the bowl games and you you watch as much college football as you could as a fan back then. But that was it. There was no NFL network. There was no NFL breakdown type websites that no film study or anything. So it was all fairly rudimentary, you know, and you didn't know what you were getting until you actually got them. And football's kind of interesting back then. I mean, it, it really was. It was just all speculative. And now it's so much more of a science and everyone dials it up. So. Okay, yeah. so, so we'll get into it. And, Let's um, do it. So when we look, we're going to, are we switching to Tuesdays? We're switching to Tuesdays. We're switching to Tuesdays. So look for our podcasts out on Tuesdays. You can find the podcast on uh, 12thmanrising.com, on the website, on iTunes. You can go now to iTunes and find it. You can subscribe. Also, any podcast aggregator or app um, that you use that's your favorite, you can now search for uh, Hawks Playbook podcast, and it will come up, and uh, that way you can record, uh, download the, the episodes, and listen at your leisure. So you can find Keith at Myers NFL on Twitter, and I am at NWC Hawk. My name's Bill Alstead, and I'm with Keith Myers, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sighted Network and 12thmanrising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.